You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're joined by special guest Justin Beam as we take a look back at the career of legendary horror director Wes Craven. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. Sorry, did I break your concentration? Man's got to know his limitations. And they mostly come at night. Mostly. Let's put a smile on that face. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. It smells like victory. This sort of thing has cropped up before, and it has always been due to human error. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Jeremy Benson. You're back, buddy. Back in the chair. Oh my gosh. You miss me? I did, man. Liar. Where's your doctor's note, bitch? You missed two weeks of work. I want my doctor's note. I got lots of doctor's notes. (laughs) They they gave plenty of notes and took plenty of copays, trust me. Well, so hey, man, look, uh, a lot's happened. Some things have debuted, you know, while you were away. Yeah, the trailer for Girl in Woods hit, hit the internet while I was laying in, in bed half-conscious. <laughs> I think I was like three hours late. The producer's texting, you you have to tweet about the trailer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you have people constantly hounding your back, like, oh, you gotta tweet, you gotta Twitter, you gotta do this on social media. Yeah, since we hired, like, PR people, yeah. Dude, alright, this is the shitty part about being a filmmaker right there. Oh, uh, yeah, it's... Because I don't, I mean, I'll be honest, like, I don't understand self-promotion at all. I'm terrible at it. I did see that the article, um, there's also, the article got released uh, in Fangoria. Well, yeah, um, Fangoria has an, uh, has an exclusive article up. Uh, it's got some stills, um, director statement, a new updated synopsis. They got a little quote from you, buddy. Just... They do. They have, they have a little director's, I, have, I was forced to make a director's statement. Forced at gunpoint, almost <laughs> pencil um, point, eraser to the forehead. Well, it's, it's such a weird feeling, you know. You work on something. Oh shit! Godzilla has entered the room. You know, it's sort of weird feeling, like you work on something that's as layered as Girl in Woods is, and then somebody comes and says, "Okay, tell us what your thoughts are on the movie," and then you start talking, and they go, "No, no, no, no," like in one sentence. <laughs> you're like, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> What's your movie about? Three words, go. Right. Well, you know, response for the trailer's been good. Uh, we've, it, yeah. we've had a couple of test screenings. You can see the little comments in the... I haven't, I haven't, I haven't started, like, Facebook and, like, uh, YouTube stalking comments yet, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you get on there and, you know, see what people say. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't had that opportunity yet, but... And this is the first time we've actually, um... At this stage, you know, like hired a PR team or PR, you know, PR person to send stuff out. So I'm interested to see where this goes. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. So anybody that's interested, you can uh, go to Fangoria right now. It's on the front page. Check out the trailer. So shoot us over an email. Let us know what you think. Uh, If not, if you're lazy, you can always just go to girlinwoods.com. You can see the teaser. You can see the full trailer. Uh, fix will be a re- new revamp of the uh, website. Yeah, can I get can I get like a desktop there and maybe like a T-shirt and some swag, bro? 
You got a shop uh, up no yet? No t-shirts, but there are going to be up some uh, some wallpapers you can download. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, you got charisma in the bathtub. Just not as sexy as you think when you hear that word. Uh, you got screaming Juliet. You got yeah. There's a couple of wallpapers that are going up. Yeah, I get I get really nerdy about wall- wallpapers. I always enjoy putting like the whatever film I'm excited about it. Yeah. The, of the week or the day. Yeah, if, if like two people download wallpapers, I'll be like, man, we're hot. I, mean, I do. I don't know why, but that's always something. It's like they just give you. It's an awesome give me that the studios just kind of gave, and I got. I've always got. I've just got addicted to it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go check out their website and you know see if I can pre-order tickets. And yeah, you can always tell like what movies I'm most excited about coming out. That's usually the wallpaper on my computer at that time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. Or uh, if nothing has excited me, then it'll be some wallpaper from a movie twenty years old. So what I miss, I've been you know gone for two weeks. Gone for uh, you didn't miss much, man. We did uh, episode uh, what we do, Evil Dead Two, and then we did an anime, uh, Ninja Scroll. Ah, You're not big anime fan, are you? Well, it's not that I don't like it. I just never got into it. I was we were thinking about doing Akira, but then I was like, you know what, Benson will like Akira. Like the animated 2001. My kids all into Pokemon right now. Okay, no, see that's but that's aimed for kids. They have like adult version. It's de- it's definitely for an adult. Yeah, we had yeah uh, we had Paul come on um, while you were gone. It's nice to have you back, man. What? Well, it's nice to be back. And uh, yeah, I hope I hope people go check out the trailer. We worked really hard on this. Yeah, yeah, we did. Well, I guess, hold up, let's just back up. So, the whole reason that we're here today is that, unfortunately, Wes Craven passed away. Yes. And, uh... Which we're was not... sort of shocking. I, I was... Yeah. That kind of came out of nowhere. It did. But we're not going to be sourpusses about this. We're going to... We're here to celebrate a career. Exactly. This man had a huge impact on cinema. Yeah, so I contacted a guy that, uh... He's worked in the horror field for a little while and asked him if he wanted to come on. We recorded an interview with him. Uh, Justin Beam, he did a lot of um, behind-the-scenes work on probably some Blu-rays you have. Oh, uh, definitely. If you're listening to this show, they got at least one or two of them. Right. I mean, I you mean, got to at least yeah. have... Who doesn't have Halloween? Who doesn't have body bags? If you don't have body bags, you're a slack-ass. Go out there and buy it. He called in. We did a uh, did our little tribute to Wes Craven, best we could, I guess. Yeah, uh, we we got a little off, we got a little off point here and there, but it's the first time we've ever talked to the guy, and he had a bunch of really cool stories. So we like hearing filmmakers' stories, especially from somebody that's working behind the scenes. I don't think you hear that story a lot, right? You, yeah, you know, because they're telling another filmmaker's story, so it's kind of cool. Just they're constantly around that while they're also in production. Yeah, and I met I met Justin at um I was asked to come be a speaker at the Hot Springs Horror Festival a couple of years ago and I was on a, a director's panel that Justin was the uh moderator for. When we started talking about doing a Wes Craven tribute, I was like, Man, Justin would be great to have on the show. Yeah, he was a really interesting cat to talk to, man. We should definitely get him on for a Halloween show just to talk about all that awesome stuff. Man, because he worked for those guys for like I don't know how long. We didn't even ask him his length or duration there, but... Yeah, as you'll hear, when uh, while we're trying to talk about Wes Craven, Brian is very distracted by Friday the 13th and Halloween. That's that's interesting. Whatever. Hey, you have your passions. <laughs> well, hey, we get off topic here. What are we going to do? We're not professional radio guys here. 
This isn't a radio show. It's a podcast. That's true. Hey, you know, hey, semantics. Why don't we uh, play the trailer for Girl in Woods and then we can... Roll that interview. Or roll that discussion. Does Daddy love you? Sorry, honey. Daddy was a weak man. This is your fault. Your fault you did this. Hey! I don't think anyone could get over seeing something like that. Kids aren't built to see their parents kill themselves. When are you going to tell me what it is? It's going to be a day you'll never forget. Hey, you remember when we first met? We must be pretty good for each other, huh? Ah! Damn! Jim killed himself. He wasn't very good for us. I love him. Well, we know what that does to people, don't we? I don't want to talk about mommy! That's where they live, those demons. We need to kill it. The two of us. You need help, honey. But Gracie, we always had so much fun. Oh, Mama, why? He made me do it. He made me do it! So yeah, we're doing the Wes Craven tribute tonight, and we have a special guest with us, Justin Beam. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man. What do, what do you do? What are you up to? Yeah, I've been writing for Fangoria for quite a few years, and for Famous Monsters of Filmland, and some horror hound stuff, did some production things, like especially behind the scenes and documentary stuff, like Screen Factory, Anchor Bay. Worked with the production company, the Trankus Films, the parent company of the Halloween franchise, which was an incredible experience, something that completely transformed my life. Yeah, outside of that, a lot of other things like charity work and... What kind of charity work have you been doing? My old partner at Trankus, we co-founded the Scare Foundation, which was horror entertainment people working to combat teenage homelessness and poverty and had several really great events a couple of years ago when we first launched the, the charity. And one, the first one honored Jamie Lee Curtis, and the second one honored Malcolm McDowell, and they were both great participants in our events and brought on some pet charities that we did work for and raised funds for, raised awareness. All in the California, you know, working in Los Angeles is Incredibly plagued is the only word for it by homelessness. In fact, it's the, the worst in the entire country, believe it or not. The country as a whole has an issue with homelessness, but we wanted to begin in California. And the idea behind, and I still really believe, I mean, as you can tell, I really believe in this. And the idea behind it was that the core audience for horror is teenagers. That's when a lot of people latch on to this stuff. And so to give something back to them is a rare opportunity outside of just making film and whatever it was. And so we decided to combine that 
outlook with the vision from his sister, uh, rest in peace, uh, Mima, who was a big, big supporter, tireless supporter of children's charity and in her life, in a very too short life. And so we combine the passion of her with the two of us. Outside of that, I now work with entrepreneurial sort of youth business mindset building groups here in the Midwest where I currently am residing. And charity is something that children are really passionate about and will always be involved with in one way or another. And I would love to get Scare Foundation rocking again. I think it's just been kind of on pause for a little bit. But keep your eye open for that charity to come back because we did some pretty amazing things and we just touched the tip of the iceberg with it. Really proud of that work. That's man, really cool, man. That is, dude. Look at that. I feel like a total slack ass now. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, dude. Make everyone feel bad. He's like, look at this guy overachieving over here. He's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm finding homes for teenagers. What have you done today? Um, I made a salad. <laughs> well, dude, that is awesome. Uh, I do yeah. that too. <laughs> Congratulations, man. That sounds uh, sounds like you guys did a lot of work. And uh, did you got did you get to actually meet Jamie Lee Curtis? Oh yeah, yeah. She's she was in the family, I guess you could say, because she has never shied away from her roots in Halloween. And we'll work with the carpenter on a number of different projects too. And so we got John to do. I went over and shot him doing a little intro congratulating her on being named humanitarian of the year for that, which was really neat because the two of them hadn't been a part of anything together since 1978. Oh, dude, uh, that's really sweet. Yeah, a little, little yeah, backstory that was here, really Justin. Brian is uh, officially mm-hmm. obsessed with John Carpenter and Halloween. I am not obsessed. Yeah, you, oh, nice. You are totally... It's a worthy obsession. No, man, I, I really have felt very lucky to have been connected with John like I have and do the work that I've done with him. And we've done some shows together. We've done documentary stuff. I mean, I produced, um, I was behind the entire body bag Blu-ray project and the commentaries with them. Um, oh man, you guys did an excellent job on uh, body bags, by the way. Oh, thank you. Dude, that was really good. It was good seeing uh, just how all that put together. It was nice actually having a commentary. Yeah. Well, that was one that, and I know this isn't the purpose of the episode, but that was one that I was so passionate about. And John and I had talked about it a couple of years prior about what would happen with it because it had never gotten a proper release. And the release that Showtime gave it was just garbage. It was cropped. It was trimmed content-wise. It was just not timed right. There was a lot of issues with it. And and it was being completely ignored by artists and everyone else on video. It had a really brief release, just an ugly thing. So it had been sitting in John's sort of vault for a long time and he was he hated the cover art that was originally put on there without his consent, everything. It was just a bad thing. But he loved the film, and a lot of his friends are in it, and I think there's some really strong performances from, from people in it. And finally, when I started getting in bed with Screen Factory, and I saw that they were legit, because a lot of these companies sort of burn the directors. Uh, the directors are often sort of left in the dust when it comes to releasing this stuff on video, and I know that's contrary to popular belief. Jeremy can speak to that, but <laughs> the director oftentimes is just sort of in the wings going, oh, cool, I hope this turns out well. And that's right. been the case with a lot of John. That's been the case with a lot of his stuff. And, and I thought that Body Bags, I think all of his stuff, but Body Bags was this lost gem. And I learned quickly that Scream Factory is legit, that Cliff and Jeff and the guys that were working there were doing the work of 
very, very passionate fans, not just people who were trying to make money. And I respected that because they found a nice, healthy balance between the two. And this was when Scream Factory was just getting rolling, about, you know, on the heels of Halloween 2 and 3, which is really what put them on the map. And so I pitched it to John, and he was skeptical. Got a, a conference call together to bring some, I'd, I'd talk to Scream, and Cliff was like, well, yeah, if you can make this happen, it would be something. So brought everybody to the table, got everyone talking, eventually hashed out a deal. We got this thing put together, and I love shooting the documentary on it, and I, you know, put that together with some very talented people who teamed up with me on it. And that's amazing! You're like you're like my hero. <laughs> putting putting uh, body bags together and being able to like, oh, dude, I was watching that on a shitty artisan VHS tape forever. And then oh, like when yeah, my VH- yeah, yeah. VCR broke, it's just like the only John Carpenter film I can no longer watch. So much Carpenter, so many great stories. The the thing that I'm most proud of. Body bag was huge. Obviously, work with the Halloween stuff was huge. Some of the other things, like the comic book and all that, it was all very fun. But the thing that I'm proudest of, okay, Halloween was largely shot in South Pasadena. You can sort of think of that as Haddonfield. That's honestly about the only tourism that brings people into South Pasadena from the film world. There's been a lot of movies that are made there, but people still go there to see the Halloween locations. And then when Rob did his films, he shot some stuff there in in homage to John and out of respect for the franchise and everything, which is really great. Those locations are still there. So anyway, I contacted the a gentleman there that I teamed up with who works with the city council and also the library and ended up being able to, after months of work, got October 31st named John Carpenter Day and John Carpenter Night in South Pasadena. Nice. So in, quote-unquote, Haddonfield, every year on Halloween now is John Carpenter Day. In Haddon. I'm just so tickled about this. And they had a great uh, presentation ceremony for him, and this local artist did a great drawing of him. So now it's in the official city. It's like hanging on the wall in the city offices and in their books. Halloween is officially John Carpenter Day. So that's probably my proudest thing that I ever did with for John. What a rewarding thing. Like, so awesome. He, he deserves all the praise he can get and then a thousand times more. Yeah, I mean, if there's two names, then... Totally agree. You know, modern horror cinema that you're going to remember. One is John Carpenter, and the other is Wes Craven. Wait, wait, are we, are we, are we, we, are we talking about Wes Craven here? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, I just did a cool segue. Did you catch that? Wow, dude, that was a pretty man. That was a smooth segue. I did like that. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, guys, we got to stop talking about. Because, dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I will will talk about Carpenter all night. So, I mean, we're obviously all three. Horror fans, we—I mean, I can imagine everybody here grew up watching. Do you remember the, like the first time you started noticing Wes Craven's movies? It was Nightmare on Elm Street. It was when I was a kid, and I—I I caught that on video. I know he had done stuff before, but Nightmare on Elm Street—that was because word of mouth spreads fast when you're a kid. Yeah, and I was running in circles where we were all really into just any and all horror. And the great thing about the town where I grew up in, Marion, Iowa, and Cedar Rapids, Iowa, attached to it, but more so Marion, man, there were so many video stores, so many, and there was places like, like there's a chain called Farmall. Did you guys have that near you? No. Remember that? It was kind of an early version of what Super Walmart is now, where they had everything from groceries to weird hardware stuff and whatever. It was a failed concept, ultimately. But the greatest gift that they gave every town that they were in and I can certainly speak to Marion. 
was the best video section in the area, far and away. And you could rent on weekends, you could do like five for five or something like that, five for three. And we could take home an armload of videos. And they and the great thing about there, most of the places at the time were renting videos in just the like the hard shell like tan or brown or black cases right. with the name typed out and then like slid into the cover. They had the, the, the wisdom to have the plastic slip cases, the drop cases where you squeeze the sides and it drops the tape out. So you take the artwork home. Yeah. yeah. And so how much, that's essential. Anybody who grew up with like cassettes and vinyl and stuff, we know what it's like, how important it is. Like for me as a kid having the gatefold of Kiss Alive sitting in front of me as I'm listening to the album and you open it up in the middle and there's massive like that scene inside the stadium with all the kids painted up like kids, just yeah. a sea of humanity. Like, that just made it so much more real. And it was the same thing at Farmore, where you go and you rent the videos, and you got Microwave Massacre, and you have the actual functioning microwave on the front. You hit the button, the light goes on, and that's in your living room, like, as you're watching it. Shitty movie. But I don't think I've ever seen scary. that one. Oh, microwave, God, so what, was it? It has what the hell was that called? Microwave Massacre, Massacre. yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. The town I grew up in was Arlington, Tennessee, and... When I was out there, I think population of the town was maybe 800 people, maybe. Yeah. And we right. had this little bitty Arlington video. And I, I remember the microwave massacre little... I remember just going, man, look at this. This is so cool. Some of them just like, it was all about the cover. And this is the classic elusive marketing, right? Where you have a misleading poster for some movie that the poster looks absolutely incredible. Then you watch the movie and it's a snooze fest, but your memories are somehow mutated enough that you're tied to the poster more or the cover oh, more yeah. than the movie you, itself. It, it was total artwork-oriented rental. Because especially yeah. in the horror genre, like there was a lot coming out on VHS that I had never heard of. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I remember just going in and there'd be just these lines of, man, this looks cool and this cool. And the one that always sticks in my head is Company of Wolves. Which one? Company of Wolves. The one with the, the oh. werewolf on the cover and the mouth opening up and the werewolf coming out in that. Man, I just remember as a kid just like standing in the video store and just, because we had to take home the brown hard case with the handwritten yeah. name. So yep. I would stand in the in the video store and just look at the artwork like, oh, this is so amazing. <laughs> and I would read everything on the back, everything I could try to read up on it. I, I remember that. It was a museum. It, it was totally that, that. This is what made video stores special, is that when people talk about the experience of it, and I'm not saying kids today don't understand, because they do. They get it. They have their own version of it. Just trust me that they do. But what we had was walking into a museum where those covers were art. And yeah. before the shelves got so packed full of titles that they had to just turn the spines out, you're walking down, and it was the most enticing candy store, and the horror section especially. Like, and, and it was easy to become a horror fan when you were a kid going into video stores, because when you're walking to the comedy section, the covers were all lame and boring, drama, come on, please, yeah. whatever. The adventure movies had some cool covers, the action stuff. But really, when you get to horror, is where the imagination just like uh, just came alive, oh, and man. that was the gift what these stores offered us. And that's where I discovered Nightmare on Elm Street was because I went. I remember that my buddies and I went on this sort of here are some movies we know we need to see kind of thing, kind of runs. And I remember my friend Jason Balvance was his name. He had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on videotape, a dubbed copy in his dad's collection. And I remember being so terrified hearing about this stuff, just hearing the description of it on the playground, <laughs> but I was having nightmares about it before I even saw the thing. 
And then finally I spent the day at his house one day and he put it in on a sweltering summer day, perfect, which may be part of the root of my obsession with like watching movies within the season. But sweltering hot summer day, watching Chainsaw Massacre, and I couldn't wash, I couldn't take a long enough shower afterwards because I just wore that film as I walked away from it. Nightmare on Elm Street was one of them that I knew I needed to see, and the legend had already grown, like the myth was there about the film, and I rented it from Farmore. That's one of the movies that I saw Psycho for the first time from Farmore. I saw so much stuff that is oh, stayed with so me good. and helped just, oh my God, man. Yep. But Nightmare on Elm Street, taking that home and having the box in my hand, it all was just like the complete experience. Awesome. Amazing. That had one of the best and, boxes too, man, with fucking Nancy on the cover and the hand, like the skeleton Freddy yeah. hand with the razor the razors. Oh, dude, that was great. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you mean too I, about the uh the myth of the movie. Before I had seen it, like my best friend growing up lived next door. He was about four years older than me. He had seen it and he was constantly like telling me about it. Ah, oh, just the idea of it seemed so huge. And I actually saw I can't remember if it was three or four before I saw the original. Like, it took me that long to finally get back to the original. Because I grew up in a house where, like, my dad loved horror films. So if him and I were up at night and we were renting a movie together, we would sneak and watch something. My mom laid down the law. I wasn't allowed to watch Ghostbusters because it had a demon possession in it. And that's bad. Wait, hold up. What's the demon possession scene in Ghostbusters? Is it, you're talking about Sigourney Weaver? Yeah. Okay, all right, okay. Oh, she lost her shit, man. I was, I'd was i rented it from the <laughs> library at one point, and was watching it at home, and I, mean, I, was, I was a kid. I had my little Ghostbuster pack I made, and I was playing along with the movie, and my mom comes in, and right at the moment where Sigourney Weaver's like, I am Zool, and my mom like just freaks out. What is this? And she's snapping the TV off, calling her church friends. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so, like, to get to watch Nightmare on Elm Street, I had to kind of either watch it at somebody's house or it had to be on TV at a time that I could sneak and watch it. Jeremy, was Nightmare the, the first exposure to Wes Craven that you got? I probably saw Swamp Thing first. I was going to say that. Uh, my first exposure to Wes Craven was, in fact, Swamp Thing. Because I used to watch Swamp Thing a lot. It was Nightmare that made me start thinking, like, okay, who is... Because, like, growing up, you heard the name Stephen King all the time. Like, Stephen King's this, Stephen King's that. But it was Nightmare that made me start going, okay, who's this Wes Craven guy? Um, and then in, in, in high school, I went through this whole phase where I just could not get enough Wes Craven movies. I was, as soon as DVD started coming out, I was just stocking up on as much Wes Craven as I could get. I, I sort of became obsessed there for a few years. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, definitely Swamp Thing was the first thing I was exposed to. I mean, Adrian Barbeau, you know, I mean, hey, I was eight and I loved her. Loved Swamp Thing. It's also got the, uh... One of the bad guys in Swamp Thing is the uh, the main killer in Last House on the Left, which uh, really destroyed Swamp Thing for me when I saw Last House on the Left when I was like <laughs> 10 or 11. I saw that way too young. The oh, rapes, my God. Yeah, the rape scene destroyed me. Like, then the, oh, when the mom bites that guy's, uh, yeah, you know, that, oh, that messed with me for a while. It's only a movie. Uh, yeah, he went on from Last House, he made Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, you guys like I mean, Hills Have Eyes? You, you guys are a fan of that? I am. I I love that movie. Is it bizarre 
scary movie. I think it's very well handled. And it feels claustrophobic despite the expanse of where it was set, which just sort of defies logic. And one thing I'll say about Wes Craven is that throughout his career, he didn't make the same movie twice. I don't know if it was a sequel, but I mean, he, 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 such few directors have such a diverse catalog of films. Like we're talking about just in these handful of films, Last House, Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing, and Nightmare on Elm Street. Could you have more diverse handful of films right there? Yeah, I, I remember amazing. during my uh, discovering Wes Craven stage where I'm just like, you know, going out and buying and renting anything that had his name on it. Noticing like just a big difference between Last House on the Left and Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. Last House seemed at <laughs> I don't know what to say about that one, but Hills Have Eyes like worked on ways that yeah, like you said it's a very diverse movie, but it, talk about progress from your first to your second film. I I thought it was a, a lot a pretty big step forward. Well, it's a difference. Like Hills Have Eyes has a little bit of fun with the genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Last House mm-hmm. on the Left is completely mean-spirited from start to finish. Like, that movie is With a really, really weird score. Hard to, yeah, it's really hard to watch. Now, The Hills Have Eyes, it's horrific, but it's still fun. He's expanding his scope. He's not just, yeah, we're going to do a horror film. It's like, yeah, we're going to do a horror film, but I'm going to tie some little Western elements into it. I'm going to keep my suspense. He tries to bring in more wide shots in... Well, I think it goes back to what Justin said. It's got a good claustrophobic feel, but even though it's in this wide open area. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just a, it's a beautiful movie. He really he put all his dollar on screen in that one. And again, it's got a. When we started doing this podcast, uh, I didn't really notice, but there's a lot of rape scenes in horror films. It's just a very yeah. easy go to. It's a lazy. I think it's a lazy story element. I'm really sick of it. I'm really burned out on it, especially the films like gutter balls and some of these that really sexualize it. I will agree with you. It is a lazy story device and yeah, there a lot of filmmakers do do use it especially in the 70s and uh and 80s and they still now. It's very strange. And it had it kind of went away for a long time and then it came back in the last few years here. And I don't I really don't understand why. I don't get it. I have always enjoyed listening to Wes Craven's commentaries about the thought process that he, that goes into some of his some of his movies uh, the influences that bring stuff up uh, he always com- he was a very educated man so like you you listen to him in behind the scenes and you're just like oh my god you're so articulate <laughs> what'd you think of serpent in the rainbow yeah. justin i love it that's one of them that i was going to point to at some point here tonight about someone talking about the diversity of right. this guy and I still think it stands as probably the coolest voodoo horror film ever made yet. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful film that he, a lot of his stuff uh, is sort of exists in suburbia. That's one of his things is that, you know, Debbie, Debbie Friend and Nightmare on the Street and even Last House on the Left, even though it's, it's in the woods, it's still sort of a suburban. It's, it's people in houses. And he, when he has the chance to get outside of that, he completely runs with the ball. Like we're talking about how the way the hills have eyes were shot. And it's a beautiful film, despite the fact that it's essentially barren landscape that he's shooting on. He still manages to make it a beautiful movie. It's like what Spielberg did with Duel, where you have... Yes. You don't have to shoot everything wide, and you don't, but you, but you use the space so effectively. 
And I think that that's one of the great things about it. I mean, all three guys that we're talking about just right now, like thinking about Carpenter, thinking about Craven, and thinking about Spielberg, they all use space expertly. And every corner of the frame is part of what's making you feel the way that you do. There's no wasted space. And that's one of the things that West does really well. And Serpent and the Rainbow is a film that it's a piece of art. It's just such a gorgeous film. You can, you can turn the sound off and watch it and just be blown away. So many great visuals in it. Completely bizarre, surreal story. I, I really enjoy that movie a lot. Wes Craven is one of those filmmakers that, to me that when, when I watch one of his movies, I, I get sort of, they stick with me. Just because the artistry is there, you know? I mean, the, he understands the language of cinema, the how to communicate ideas visually. Serpent in the Rainbow, I always, always thought that was uh, such a great film. It's one of Bill Pullman's best performances. Like, Wes Craven got a really terrific performance out of Bill Pullman. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's... Agreed. I think Bill Pullman's, like, an actor that is... He's Bill Pullman. You cast him, he's going to be Bill Pullman. He's like John Wayne. John Wayne's going to be John Wayne. You know, when he's yeah. not John Wayne, it's like, holy shit, this guy is really fucking good. Serpent in the Rainbow mm-hmm. is kind of that for Bill Pullman. Yeah, I can see that. People under the stairs. We haven't talked about that yet. I was at some kid's sleepover party, and I remember I wasn't really impressed with it. That's one movie of his that I don't love. Um, it's okay. It's definitely different. I don't really have very many memories of it. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of want to hold off. Like, I haven't seen that one in three or four years, and Scream Factory is finally putting a Blu-ray out on that. Uh, I think this month, right? I think so. It is yeah. this month. Yeah. Yes, it's this month. My daughter is uh, 10 years old. She's in, she's really into horror films. So we watched Nightmare on Elm Street, and then we watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Nightmare on Elm Street 7. As many times as I'd seen those three movies, that was the first time it clicked at like how well the, the Wes Craven Nightmare trilogy works together as like a package because you know in, in new nightmare he, he sets up that he's writing this new freddy krueger story and that freddy krueger is this demon that's coming alive taking the form of freddy krueger and attacking the people that right. made the movies with the the ones that he was involved with one three and seven it you know the same cast and i don't know it just really it was a really cool like trilogy inside of this series justin let me ask you a question man are you a fan of New Nightmare? Mm-hmm. I am. I definitely am. Dude, everybody hates that movie. All the all the I, Nightmare I don't know fans are you getting this? What man? is up with I, that? I have never met anybody that complains about that movie. How do you not like that movie? I think it's this. Here's the deal. I think that people get very emotionally attached to franchises, and I think that they, especially when there's a community built around a franchise, people connect themselves to them, and so they have they develop bias that may not even be their own. Uh, there's a bit of a herd mentality, and I think that the same thing happened with the Friday the 13th uh, New Beginning. A lot of there, there are people who still talk about that as the Jasonless movie, and what a piece of shit. That's the one I watch more than any other one in the franchise. I love that movie. You're talking about Part Five? That's the one you watch more than any I, other in the entire franchise? I probably watch two and five more than any other in the franchise. Five, and I love Jasonless. I don't know. I, I okay. So here with with New Beginning, it. It's a great Friday the 13th film. It's got memorable characters. It's over the top. It has great settings. It's got Reggie the Reckless. And I like there was a twist at the end. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a good movie. I really do. I think I mean, it has one of the greatest nude scenes in all of horror. 
And and it was the same thing. I mean, whenever there's a departure from what people think that they are comfortable with, they get itchy. And it, but then with time, it grows on people. And I think the same thing happened with Halloween three. I think the same thing happened with it's happening with Rob Zombie's Halloween films. Um, I think in Friday the Thirteenth, happening with that, and even the remake. I think that when when Nightmare went from the realm of fantasy that it had existed in and primarily focusing on kids and it became about adults and it entered quote-unquote reality, I think people felt it was too much of a pull from the storyline of the original because it was at a time when people weren't yet comfortable with the curtain being lifted between the filmmakers and them as the audience. As a fan, like, I just thought that was so brilliant. I love it. Man, by that time, you know, I mean, as much as I love the Nightmare on Elm Street movies... Freddy had kind of turned into a joke, and Wes found a way to oh, make yeah. him scary again. Justin, do you think um, with the direction Wes Craven took New Nightmare, has any play on how he took the, the screen? Well, I know Kevin Williamson wrote them, but the screen movies playing off of that, like you were saying, breaking that wall. and It's called meta now, guys. Oh, right? yeah. I'm Generation X. I don't have to sound like yeah, shit. I, I think it. I think it did. I, I think that that prime that primed audiences, and I think that he found a lot of fun in in playing in that sandbox. He clearly did. It had to happen at some point because you can't. It's just like in wrestling. Like you know, things change eventually. You can't just keep feeding people the same thing over and over again, expecting them to keep coming back. I think Wes Craven got that, and I think that he took something because Scream could have been horrendous. Scream could have been terrible. Because it, it was WB-type casting, it was all this stuff that became, at that time, you know, a lot of people look back on those films, even though I'm quite fond of I Know What You Did Last Summer and uh, Urban Legend and those movies that a lot of people unfairly lumped together. I think that... Those are the slashers I grew up with in high school right there. <laughs> those are my high school slashers. I miss the, the slashers in the 80s. I was a little kid then. Yeah. So those, those were my slashers. I thought, I thought those were great. I just, oh, hell yeah. Valentine was so good. Valen- you, you, oh, you Denise Valentine. Richards? Yeah, dude, right? That is a hidden oh. gem that nobody knows about. So good. Jamie Blank, so good. And I think that that movie, it, it, that could have been made in 1988, 1987. It could have been in the heyday of the slash. Exactly. It's such a great, well-structured, classic slasher film. Beautiful movie. What Wes Craven did with the Scream series and how each one of them took that idea a little bit further. Like even in you know in Scream Three, you're on the studio lot. Yeah, I give that more to the writer though than I do. I give him the well. He's the one that made it work. Scream One in the hands of somebody that didn't know what they were doing would have been really bad. No, it would have been. No, I I agree with that. But like, if you're gonna talk about like the the ideas behind them and everything like that, I give Kevin Williamson props for that. He made the comedy and the horror work. And he never made fun of the bad guy. That's the most important rule of a horror comedy, right? You can't, you can't have laughs at the killer's expense. Dude, Scream, go, go and see Scream 1 and 2 in the theater, and to a lesser extent, 3. That, those, were, those were great movie-going experiences where the audience was involved oh, yeah. and engaged, right? Oh, yeah. What did you think of 4? I, 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 don't, I still don't know why 4 was made. Money? Other than making money. Because I was like petitioning on the boards, like please make Scream Four. <laughs> I I actually like uh, Scream's my favorite Wes Craven movie. I am gonna come out and say it. it's not Nightmare on Elm Street. Like I saw that and something clicked with me that was just like, man, this is one of the greatest slasher movies ever made. Everybody that went to high school with me knew how much I loved this film. I could not stop talking about it. I took all my friends to go see it. 
I took all my friends to go see the sequel. It was man, that sequel was a blockbuster. You remember that they had that on Entertainment Tonight? Oh yeah. You know that was a big big deal. You know it was like, hey, look, we're gonna show this trailer for this horror movie called Scream Two. It's like a horror film. You're gonna debut a horror trailer on Entertainment Tonight? The the nineties up until Scream was was bad. Horror was in a real doldrum. Why do you think horror slipped like that in the nineties? I think that things went so over the top because the eighties was the late eighties in particular were all. I mean, that was like the splatter era. All the effects, super effects movies, the remakes that were happening were way outlandish, like the Blob and everything. So it was it was definitely splatter time. You know, John Carl Beekler and these guys coming to the fore and getting bloodier and gooier with every film, and it got to the point, like everything, where it gets so nuts and so out of control that then all of a sudden people just go whoa. And then it sort of recoils. And I think after the excesses of the 80s, people were looking for something a little different in their entertainment. And also, there was no dominant trends in the early 90s in horror. So the slasher thing had come and gone. Then the splatter films came and gone. And then it was this weird lull where there was, a, there was some cool shit that would pop up once in a while. But for the most part, it was just it was a lot of individual projects. Franchises were kind of limping along. So overall, in the um, how do you think Wes has changed horror overall. Like, what do you think his lasting legacy is going to be? I, I would say that his, the, in terms of impact, purely his impact, it would be the Nightmare on Elm Street because it's his vision. Scream, you know, had Kevin Williamson all over it. While Scream re sort of opened the door, it ushered in a new era of horror. It just exploded and created legions of horror fans. I mean, that was the birthing point for it. So many filmmakers who are now coming to the fore in the horror genre, and they, many won't even admit it still that Scream is what did it, but it was there. I think his, his greatest lasting contribution is in the creation of Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger, which is a character that did something culturally that no horror entity outside of maybe Dracula has ever done. He created the most culturally accepted, universally acknowledged, and recognized horror entity since the classic monsters. Uh, growing up, I knew well, who Freddy was way before I knew who Jason was. Really? You knew who Freddy yeah. was before Jason? Easily more recognizable idea of the, the, the hat, the glove. Really? Over the hockey mask? And honestly, like I had prepared the answer to this question because I knew I was going to ask it. And <laughs> it's bas- I, yeah, it was basically what Justin just said. I, I totally had planned on saying, not since Dracula has there been an icon like Freddy. Jason wasn't in the original either. And, and he was, I mean, what, what Jake, Jason exists in horror. He is solely a horror entity. Freddie Freddy was in People magazine. Jason exists solely in horror. He's silent. He's this beast, this hulking thing. Well, we've seen that before, but it was something cool, something unique, had a great look, and is totally iconic. No arguing there. No doubt that these two guys are like the kings of the 80s horror. No doubt. But what Freddie did was that he was huge and recognized outside of just horror realm. And because I think of Freddy's humor and the way that they marketed those films, Friday the 13th was never marketed. Not until McFarlane started doing toys and all the stuff in the, in the mid-90s, late-90s, and into the 2000s, and now recently, I and mean, Jason's Friday the 13th is his booming industry. But like Halloween, it was underexploited. Nightmare on Elm Street was different. Nightmare on Elm Street was exploited from the beginning. Exactly. Like and I can so remember I, seeing Freddy on like MTV. Uh, it was like yeah. he was a 
he, the character, became a celebrity. What do you think it was about Freddy that, other than, you know, just the humor and the marketing, that people latched on to so much? There was nothing else that did what it did, and the humor made him safe to approach. And that's what a lot of horror comedy has done for people. It's just like Scream, is that it had a definite humor and edge to it that made it a little easier for a lot of the people who aren't seasoned horror watchers to it to be a part of, to experience. They're like, ah, you know, I heard it's a pretty funny thing, whatever. And when you when you hear when you see the clips of Freddy Krueger on MTV cracking jokes and stuff, you go, I can probably handle that. And then you get into it, and it's a gateway thing. And I think that Freddy Krueger was a gateway for a lot of people because it was more approachable, even though the core subject matter is so absolutely bleak, with it being about like child molestation and murder and stuff like that. I mean, that's super dark subject matter that was kind of swept under the rug after the original. I think that was it. It was just more approachable. Jason's just the thing that kills people. Cinema will miss Mr. Craven. I know I will. Like, there's certain celebrities that when you hear them passing that kind of, oh man, that hits me personally. And this one was one that, like, I had to pull over my car and go, wait, no, I'm not going to get any, oh man, Wes Craven, you become such a fan of his work that he he actually becomes part of your life in this weird, abstract way. I guess the reason I wanted to do this podcast was that and I want to pay tribute to somebody that has really influenced my life in a lot of ways without even knowing it. Thank you, Wes. The icons are starting to get older and looking yeah. over the next you know, 10, 20 years, you're going to start to see a lot more of them going away. And up until now, it's been people that we respected and that we may have been connected with, but a lot of them were from a generation before that celebrated them in a different way than these people were celebrated for this generation. And right. Wes Craven is a guy who was is cemented as he looked in like New Nightmare. That's Wes Craven in my mind. He's like right. he's eternally that. Yeah. And that's... so to hear about him dying, I was like, what? And I didn't even know about the cancer thing. And dude, it really, I didn't know about I was that either. At how, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know. And maybe that wasn't public knowledge. I haven't read too much about it. But I don't think it was. It, I mean, I, I, it just blindsided. I think everybody. I think his family went, yeah. did a good job of keeping that private. Yeah. I, what I really respect about that is that it keeps his legacy focused on his work, and people didn't watch him struggle at appearances or anything like that. Like he was always, he always seemed to be a pretty private guy anyway. I think it's great that people are celebrating him the way that they are, and a lot of that is because we haven't seen him out drunk on the town, or he didn't make a string of really shitty movies that he should be embarrassed of or anything like that. I mean, he did what he did. Absolutely. Because people say, you know, one of the best things that could have happened to a lot of these celebrities is to die early. And that sounds morbid to say, but in a way, it preserves them. It keeps them in a glass casket at the ideal age. You know, we never saw Jim Morrison get old. And so they're locked in their prime, in a way. And and even though Wes Craven was older, it's sort of similar for him. We never saw a bad Wes Craven. There weren't a bunch of sour notes, and there wasn't old stumbling around Wes. It was just like... Awesome Wes and influential Wes, and he's preserved. And I Absolutely. think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, Justin, man, thank you very much for uh, coming on and talking about Wes Craven with us. Is there anything you wanted to plug or like any, your Twitter handles or anything like that you wanted to direct people to? They can follow your work? Uh, I guess just keep up your search for me. I'm, I'm on Facebook and on Twitter with my name, Justin B E A H M Bean. That's the best way to keep up with things. And I'll be announcing some stuff over the next couple of months as we're rolling into fall about some projects. So stay tuned for that. And 
my website is justinbeam.com. It has a lot of the stuff that I've done, links and things like that as well. So thanks again for the support. Appreciate it. Of, of all the people I'm friends with on Facebook, I have probably stopped and read his his stuff more and went, man, I agree with what that guy is saying. So again, no, thank you, that. thank you very much for uh, coming on and talking about talking about this with us. Yeah, well, thanks for thinking of me, guys. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. All right, that was our tribute with Justin Beam, our tribute to uh, Wes Craven. His career has meant a lot to all three of us. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine anybody that's into the horror genre that isn't a fan of Wes Craven. One of the cool things about film and art is that you know your work lives on. We'll always have his library, and we'll always, you know, look at back at the art and the the changes that he made to the industry. And yeah, we got a lot of great work out of that man. You know that we're gonna get to keep forever, right? And we'll always have those movies. It is great that we got what we got while we got it. Yeah, he was very generous with his talent. This man did live a full life. Went from an English teacher to a famous film horror director. Like, who lives that life, dude? Like, that's insane. Because, I mean, really, like, I mean, we said it in the podcast once before. It's like, you got Carpenter, you got Craven. Really, those are the two, man. They're the two in the modern world in terms of film directing. Yeah, I mean, you got got some new guys like, you know, Wingard and... Eli Roth, Ty West, that that are, you know, making names. They're coming up, yeah. They don't have the library yet. You know, they're they're basically the the Stephen King and and Edgar Allan Poe of cinema. Yeah. I'm going to ask you again to go check out the uh, Girl in Woods trailer, girlinwoods.com, or go to Fangoria. Who who needs a reason to go to Fangoria? Like, you you should just go to Fangoria. Yeah, so go to Fangoria.com. I'm sure they got something else cool up, too. So you'll be like, get some Girl in Woods news, and you'll get some other horror news. It's a win-win here, folks. I tell you what. Go to girlinwoods.com, then go to fangoria.com, and tweet out both links. Let us know what you think. If you want to get in contact with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E at gmail.com. Our voicemail line is 323-539-8661. Call in. You can leave us feedback. You want to you want to say something about anything that we've covered on the show? Knock yourself out. So yeah, we're gonna close out the show tonight. Um, we're not. We didn't really do a movie. We're just doing. You know, we did a West Career even tribute. What better way to close out than with the theme from A Nightmare in Elm Street by Mr. Which, Charles Bernstein? When uh, not to not to keep beating a dead horse here, but when Girl in Woods is released. <laughs> Pay attention to what composer Kevin Croxton did. He actually worked in a little homage to the Nightmare on Elm Street score. Did he even know he was doing that? He says he did not. He says he did not. But when I told him about it, he enhanced it a little bit. Yeah, a little. I think there's a little subconscious love there. See, that's how good Nightmare is, man. 